So here's the question. When the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is The Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host. I hope everything is finding you well. I'm going to be a little bit cheeky here. The first episode I'm doing in the new financial year, so I always like to wish all of those who care um, happy financial year, but more than likely this won't drop anywhere near it, but um, being a bit indulgent then. Anyhow, I hope everyone's uh, well and, you know, really kicking and striving some goals. And today I have Steve Sandor in, who has a really interesting background all the way from, you know, the financial services industries and helping them grow in the early part of his career until later on being in Papua New Guinea. Um, and then the learnings that he has from from that is really worth listening to. I think the main the main things to really listen out to is first of all, you know, understanding what you're good at, and very much look at what you're learning from the process and the mistakes, and being very honest and vulnerable about that. And I think Steve gives a very good lived experience of that early on. You know, later on, we kind of rumble a little bit about all sorts of topics. Both of us are very, very passionate about making sure that business owners, you know, build businesses that help us and to help us grow and, you know, both our wealth, but also, you know, behave in a way that we want. And I think that's a big, a big takeaway to take from that, from, from this conversation is that real that we are central center to the businesses and we should be actually in control of, of them, actually understand what, what's happening with them, but not controlling of them, which is different. And also, you know, really making sure that we're intentionally creating businesses that we want based on, on our needs and stuff as well. And then, you know, pulling that down to the staff. So not only is our staff psychologically safe, but we're also very safe in building it. Not a simple or easy thing to do, but something that I feel that we miss entirely, that we kind of accidentally and unintentionally build businesses, particularly us technical expert style of people. And, you know, this is an interesting way to kind of re-think about that and, and re-injure that in your mind. Anyhow, I really hope that you really enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Hello everybody and welcome back to Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and today I'm super excited to have Steve Sandor here. Um, Steve and I have been um, doing a few things together. I did his podcast. He's a fellow podcaster as well. His um, podcast is one that I really love and particularly for the title, Inspiring Business. And I feel that it's such a great one because if you're not being inspired by your business or inspiring others, um, I think that, you know, you're really missing out on, on some of the joy of, of being in business as well. And I think that's something we don't concentrate on very much. So welcome, Steve. Can you just give us a quick rundown of how you got to, you know, be Steve Sandor and, and, and sit here today? In, inspiring business, yeah. Um, I, I'll. There were two um, really major incidents in my life, and I call them incidents. Um, 
One was uh, as a 32-year-old, uh, I was employed by um, a very large international financial services group as a change manager. I was really, really surprised that they employed me because I'd never managed a large team. I had a couple of sales reps and an EA. And um, so, um, but you know, I figured that they knew what they were doing. Um, and three months into the job, uh, you know, my boss said, go in and do the things that you were doing at your previous company and shake this place up. It was a bit old school. So that's exactly what I did. I went in there with a whole bunch of hubris. I know what I'm doing. And after about three months, figured I had no idea what I'm doing. After about six months, they all figured out that I had no idea what I was doing. And after about 12 months, I got okay. the sack. Well, demoted demoted first and then the sack, right? So they were very kind to me. I reckon they should have done it at six months. What that um, did, you know, and when those things happen, there's a lot of hubris involved. You, there's a lot of spin, you know, you go and tell your friends it wasn't my fault, it was theirs, circumstances, all, all that sort of stuff, right? But what really bothered me was that very few people came and wished me well, right? It was like, don't let the door hit the ass on the way out because we, they didn't like me at all, which is not me, right? It wasn't how I thought I was. And so we had the opportunity, that is my wife and I had the opportunity to uh, go overseas and uh, that's exactly what we did. We, we were incubating our first child. Um, and so we went overseas and had about seven or eight months uh, and had the opportunity to do a lot of reading. So it was then that I read a lot of the classics, you know, how to win friends and influence people, a good, you know, um, uh, rich man, not rich man, poor man, these are more <laughs> contemporary ones, but sort of those, degrade, those, all those, those, those classics. Ones, yeah. yeah, all that, those, those really classic ones, you know, and and uh, I also read Napoleon, um, you know, not Napoleon yeah, Hill, Napoleon. Napoleon, you know, the, the dirty great, yeah, the really God. dirty great big long one. But what, what, what that started was a um, an emotional intelligence journey for me, right? And I do call it a journey because I don't think, I don't think you can actually have a destination on those. I think you're always learning. You're always trying to um, adapt to the circumstances around you. So that was, and I came back and I just made the commitment to myself that I'd never behave like that again. Fast forward to more contemporary times. Um, I ended up in Papua New Guinea uh, for about 10 years and the last uh, three years of the of that ten years, I was actually a line manager in um, in very large organisations, and was given the opportunity to be a change manager. So I'd, for seven years, I'd been teaching leadership and management and working in the human resource space, and for the last three years, I was actually applying the stuff that I was teaching. You know, sometimes when you when you give advice to people, you go, I wonder if this is really working, going to work. And what I did was I was able to apply it. And when I applied it, um, and the result was that the people that I was working for were empowered. Um, they were given accountability. They were kept to their accountability and made to, to actually perform in a gentle, nice way. And the result was that the businesses that both businesses that I was in 
turned around the performance after about 10 months. And that wasn't due to me. That was due to the process that I put people through. And so very different, very different um, stories, if you like. I came back uh, in uh, 2019 with the intention of continuing to do some work in PNG and build an Australian business. We all know what happened in 2020. <laughs> so, uh, so I then went, okay, well, what am I going to do? And, um, and the name uh, Inspiring Business came about because I had a, my initial business was called Business Sport Life because I had a, I thought that there was a nice correlation between the thinking of business, sport and life and how you could integrate those. And people went, oh, so you're a sports coach. And, and I went, no, I've got to change the name. <laughs> so that's how I ended up with Inspiring Business. Market feedback. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. Such a, a journey, I think, because if you look at the two situations, you know, first of all, thank you so much for the for the vulnerability. And I think for everyone who can't see Steve, Steve and I are probably around the same age. So we're, you know, when he was 32, that wasn't just yesterday. It's, you know, been a couple of, a couple of decades-ish, we'll just say that. And the fact that even back then, you just went, hey, that wasn't good enough. And I'm really going to change that. And I think that's quite a lot of things. And we don't often see it because, you know, we very much work in the expert businesses and I'm a financial services background, you know, if you look at accounting and stuff like that, myself as well. We are not taught to do that. We are not taught to say, oh, we actually, it's not safe for us to do it, as you found out, I think, you know, from a certain extent in that, you know, okay, I, I really am not, not great at this and, and this this was, you know, mine and but for you to be even reflective at that age with your background you know being a financial services sales background is is very impressive and the fact that then you went and did that and then were able to turn a business you know turn that into a very similar situation because that was also a change you know management role I hate that term and then to take the teaching and apply for it I think so much that's what we miss a lot you know when I was really working um, in the accounting firm and people were t telling me to go and do this say business advisory thing I was able to do it because I had actually developed my own tree services business and some accounting businesses but you know then the leadership programs and everything that people the staff stuff and and a whole lot of stuff that I then tried to do as well weren't things like I could learn it and I could certainly teach it a little bit to to my clients and to my staff but it wasn't until I applied it to, to myself or, or to whatever. And this is what's really, you know, frustrating going forward, um, you know, in businesses, particularly, you know, we work on, around getting people to set up their products and, and their services, but one step away from their own lived experience and their education, as opposed to, oh, I think I should do this because somebody else told me to do it. You know, does that ring true with you and, you know, with your experience? Yeah, look, I think um, it's all. I was very, very fortunate in that when I started my pre-financial services career, I had a mentor who who took me under his wing, and he taught me his craft. And his craft was selling, and but he his craft was relationships. It wasn't selling. And there were just a couple of things that he embedded in me, which I've has become part of my DNA. Yeah. It's like turn up on time, 
if not before a time. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is, is that you actually get to observe. You get to observe the culture of the place so that you can see, you know, is it a frantic organisation? Is it a calm organisation? Does it, you know, are people smiling? Are they? So you get a feeling for that. The second thing was, if you don't know the answer, don't bullshit. Yeah, you can't swear in this, right? <laughs> You've got a right. lead. So, 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 so don't don't tell somebody you can do something if you can't do it. Tell them you can't, but you'll find out and you'll get back to them, and then get back to them. And the, this was the 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 next one was the one that I just it just didn't make sense to me, but it eventually did. He said, "If we can't solve their problem, then find somebody who can." And it, that might be a competitor. And that, to me, just did not make sense until we started getting phone calls from the people who we didn't solve the problem. And they said, I know somebody who's got a problem that I know you can solve. Yeah. Could you give them a call? So, those, that, you know, that those really basic principles of trying to help the, a, a business. The other piece, I th and, and so that brings me to sort of forward to today, is I think what we tend to do is we tend to rely upon the education system within an organisation, you know, the LMS, you know, the learning management system, the technology. Here it is, you turn up on day one or there's a new program or there's something new and here's, the, here's your computer, here's your desk, here's the LMS, good luck, I'll see you in a week. What about the nuances mm. that go with all of that? What about how to communicate? We, you know, how to you take somebody under your wing as a mentor within an organisation, and that's your role. You know, you're a teacher within your organisation because you do understand all of the the idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, little things that people that intellectual property that is that is built within an organisation that when that person leaves, that goes with them. So why not spend the time in um, you know, creating that, make it a key KPI within the organisation that that's what you have to do with new people. Take them under, the, under your wing, mentor them, um, give them knowledge, spend time with them. As a, as a Unintended consequence to that, what happens is that you end up building really strong relationships because you're, you're becoming vulnerable. So as a mentor, you would say, yep, I went through that situation. This happened to me, right? This is where I failed. This is the lesson that I learned. And here it is for you, you know? So you don't have to, you'll make mistakes, but you don't have to make this one. Well, you may, right? I mean, the thing when everybody says you never make the same mistakes twice, yeah, again, yeah. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know, you just go. It's slightly different circumstance, right? You know, or maybe it was a few years. Anyway, so it, that you know, I th I think, and the reason that I mentioned the relationship is that when the relationship is tested, you know, someone doesn't do something that they said they were going to do. It's because you have that strong relationship that you can actually have a person-to-person -person conversation. You can have a human-to-human. -human. It's not an adult-child in the organisational structure. You're, you're, yes, you are my superior, and there is a certain you know reverence that I have towards you, O oh Master. But at the end of the day, we're still two people, and it may be it's something that you've done. 
as my superior that I'm not happy with. Now, if I feel, if I'm scared of having that conversation because this is the first time I'm having that conversation with you, I'm not going to, I'm never going to do it. So there's some really valuable, um, you know, lessons in all of that. It has to be a part of the culture of the organization. But yeah, and, and that's where for me, um, the, the last two roles in PNG, um, that was where it, you know, I proved that it can be done. Um, and if I can do it in Papua New Guinea, there's no reason why businesses in Australia can't do it. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the big things, you know, just circling back to what you were saying there is, you know, with all of this technology, onboarding technology, learning management systems, all of those sort of things. And, you know, we certainly do it in, in part of our programs as well, is that you, you should do some, you know, education, skills education, um, uh, process education for sure with technology. It does make it efficient. A mentor shouldn't be teaching you how to open documents or where they're stored. What you're talking about is then remembering that most businesses and all anything with people in it are all based on relationships. And if you don't have that person, so we used to have a, a buddy system, which I thought was really valuable. Um, because it wasn't necessarily someone who was even your boss. It was someone who knew the culture and, you know, the nuances over in the big firm as well. And I think that that's another reason why we're getting so much disconnection going on um, in, in workplaces around the world, um, not just here in Australia, is that. And I hadn't really thought about the Advim because, I mean, I look back to when um, – and the biggest thing that I – because I wasn't very good at process <laughs> – early on um, when I was trying to teach people how to do what I was doing in the advisory space or in the coaching consulting stage, I used to always have my offsiders sit in with me and they went on to do amazing things. And I think that was one of the reasons why it wasn't through planning by any source of the imagination, but now we, so if you really want somebody to learn how to do something, you have to put them into situations where they can see what you're doing. And then also get them to actually be active in it as well. So whether that's taking notes or following clients up or whatever that is, and also get them to give you feedback. Um, one of the greatest feedbacks I got um, was I was being very, from one of my staff, was I was, I was inconsistent with some types of people. So um, he said, what was interesting is you, you kind of did that, you, you know, with that, with that person you went through these seven steps, whereas with that person you only did three and I'd made assumptions. I mean, I shouldn't have. So it was like he was kind of feeding back. He was trying to learn. But that feedback to me was really like, oh, no, I missed those seven steps. I made assumptions that they would know what it was. And that's an assumption that's not my job to make. So, you know, as, as the advisor. So it was really interesting. You can learn and also be open to the learning both ways. Would you say that is? Yeah. And I think it's an... It's an and statement. It's not an or statement, right? So it's the LMS. LMS is a wonderful. I'm not suggesting that they're not, you don't use them, but they're not the answer. They're not the panacea. It's an and statement where you can, where you can support and help um, an individual either as a mentor, either as a manager or a peer, right? So it, it, the point is around that building the really strong relationships within the organization because you're actually having to spend time talking to each other. It's not emails, it's not texts, it's not Slack or whatever it is that, you know, the system that you use. It's actually having a conversation with somebody. 
because it's it's in those conversations that you actually go down different rabbit holes you know you find out that um, you know certain things are happening in someone's lives that you can be empathetic towards right and they feel that empathy so you start to build connections with people and I think that's really really important particularly in this day and age um, and I think the pandemic um, identified that we had gotten very removed from each other and then when it was actually formalized and said you cannot yes. be together <laughs> it was like oh we went oh oh i oh i sort of want to be right it was almost like fomo <laughs> it's like we you know we, we can't be together we could have been together beforehand now we can't be now we want that right and so i i think we're sort of we're, we're sort of working our way through that whole thing i think too from a purely efficiency thing and this is the hard you're gonna take time to make time you know, we work so hard with businesses, I mean, I know you do as well, is to make them safe for the owner and, and to make them, or the leaders, depending on the size of the business. And this is how you repeat yourself. This is actually how you go mm. through. And so you, if you do take six weeks off or something happens suddenly, which, you know, as, as you know, we know is going to happen at some point, someone can just step in then. Because they've seen what you do, they understand what you do, and they understand more importantly how you did it, um, and the feeling um, towards that. And that takes a bit of an ego hit as well. But it is a way of repeating ourselves um, that doesn't require scale products or or anything like that. And the the business can then keep going. And the more people you get on, the more you've got to do it. And you've got to think of it as an investment in time that should three buy or ten buy um, in the time that you've invested um, in those people. And then yeah. you do get to know them faster. And if you have to get rid of them faster, you can as well if they don't suit. Yeah, I, I think it's a principle that firstly, you know, what are you good at? So what's your, you know, what, what, are, you, what are you really passionate about and, and how can you fit into the ecosystem that you're in? I mean, before we came online, I was talking about, you know, an, a, an individual who yeah. really didn't feel as though they were good with people and they didn't want to get better at it either, right? So what they did was they created a business that didn't involve them as the, the face to the, to the people. Yeah. They had a partner who was very happy to do that. So, you know, finding... Finding your finding your niche in your organisation, but if you're you know if you are a, a a business leader, and you're in the for example the you know the space where you um, specialise in that professional services marketplace, um, you know what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a better experience for your customer, mm -hmm. and so you being in your best position or training to be in that best position, you know, and finding the mentor to help you to get to that point is where um, the efficiency comes from, right? Because then it's, you're, you're basically creating a business that um, will run itself with the best people in the organization to deliver the best um, experience for the customer. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, right? It, it's it, but it's intentional. And if you if your intention to, uh, you know, if you have a very strong intention to do that, then it's achievable. 
But I think that's a really important point, you know, setting that intention because I think quite often, particularly in the professional services game, which is obviously my background and, and my clientele, is it tends to happen to us, like the business happens to us. We become a financial planner, an accountant, a lawyer, and then that the next thing is is you go into partnership or you buy up because, that, you know, you buy in because that's what you're supposed to do. So it's actually quite unintentional in a way. So then you get in there and you don't, you're kind of going, well, I'm really good at my job, but how do I, and then how do you find a mentor? Like for me, when I was working to shift that compliance, you know, that tax accounting thing into um, really helping business owners to connect their personal goals and, and advisory, business advisory as the, the software providers and the, the, the people who had never done any kind of building of a business advisory package, you know, were um, telling us or telling me, you know, I, I didn't have anyone to mentor me and it was a struggle and it was, it was a whole lot of, I mean, I just, thank goodness I had actually, you know, opened up my business, sorry, run my own um, business and, and understood at least the empathy, empathetically when I'm working with clients, why they um, were struggling and, and stuff. And that's what they really enjoyed about our, our program. So there was nothing, no problems with the clients. But what the problem was is the monetization of that, the systemization of that, how you shift a business that is transactionally based for tax and, and financial planning and super, which is, you know, very transactionally based into a, a more advisory-based way. No, I had no one to follow. And, you know, if I had, I think that... Um, well, if I had, we probably wouldn't have done it in that particular business because it was really good at doing what it did. It didn't need the other stuff. And this is the problem is that we have, we then go and get advisors who say, yes, I know that. Like you've mm. got this small little problem. I know that, you know, it's like if you put a website, in, like, oh, everyone tells I need to get a website so we can tell everyone that we have some business services now um, as opposed to just tax or super audit. And blah, 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 with no one's really understanding the problems themselves. And it's so important, I think, you know, we were talking about the difference between being a service provider or transactional, which are important, it's very important, going back one step to, well, I needed advisory coaching, mentor people who had actually done it themselves. And it never really occurred to me to say, where have you done this? Have you done this before? <laughs> have you done this before? Well, and the funny thing is... And this it's is still the case. Yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, no, I haven't. This episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome so you can grow your business without the overwhelm. So, so you know, uh, we, we can get a little controversial here around the coaching consulting community. Of course, be, go for it. Be, this because, is what it's all about. I, you know, when I... So, you know, how long have I been doing this? Um, about two and a half, two years now. As a, as a manage, you know, I call myself a business improvement strategist, right? Because I get involved with organizations that are looking at improving um, and need strategy. You know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to grow. They may be looking for time. Um, you know, their own time back. Well, that's a strategy that you develop. Now, to get to that point, I had to figure, so I don't work with solo entrepreneurs because I'm a solo entrepreneur, right? I'm trying to figure this thing out. 
<laughs> as a solo entrepreneur, you know, I'm building my business slowly. I know how to grow a business because obviously I've been in it. But the, the, the organizations that I've worked for in the past have been established. So I've gone yeah. in as a manager and with a reasonably large pool of people, a reasonably large pool of expertise and a reasonably large budget, I've been able to use those resources effectively to get the maximum out of it. So I know that I can do it. I can do that. And I can put my hand on my heart and say that I've done it. Am I a coach? Sort of. But I don't have a coaching business. My business is not to go in and coach an individual to get the, per, the, the best personal, you know, fulfillment out of their life. I'm not a life coach. And so, you know, going, my experience has been around, I don't know what I don't know. And here, you know, here we are in our, yeah. our, our stage of life and, and I'm starting a brand new business. I, there are stuff, that, there's things that I just don't know. And so it's that putting your ego aside, going around and talking to as many people as you possibly can who, and, and then the real trigger is, you know, trying to find a mentor who has um, uh, experienced what I've experienced, not someone who's trying to sell me something. And I think that's where the consulting and coaching community gets into their knickers in a knot, right? It's like, I've got a hammer and you're a nail. Right. And, and yeah. so you come to me, you need, oh, you're having trouble getting um, sales. You need to do your financials because I'm, I'm, I'm in financials. You need to do a sales strategy because I've got it because I do sales. You need a marketing plan because I do marketing plans. You need a website because I build websites. Yes, all of those things are correct. Right. But, but in what sequence? Right. In That's, what sequence? What's, and, what yeah, sequence? And they all need to talk to each other. <laughs> exactly. You know, so you're trying to figure this out. And, and so it's that whole, okay, I don't know what I don't know. And then, so get experience, knowledge, you know, people who can provide you with advice that is unencumbered advice. Right. So that's an independent person who doesn't really have a product to sell other than the advisory nature. And I think in yeah. with your with your client base or, you know, with this professional services, going in with the hammer, yes, you, you will come in with a hammer, you know, at some point in time because the problem will be the nail. But but you need to find out the whole story. And the only way that you do that is by digging digging deep with the um, with the business owner and if you've never done that right then find a mentor who will talk you through that which is you right someone that's what you do yeah. that you, <laughs> you, you, I do, yes. you, you do that right I do that yeah. with I do that with business owners who are trying to find trying to they've got profitable businesses but they don't have the management breadth they're very good at being the accountant. They, they're very good at probably business development of some sort and maybe understanding their finances, right? So I'm, obviously, you would hope that an accountant would understand their finances, but I'm talking in general, right? They're the usual, you know, what, what, what's my, what's my um, uh, discipline, finances, and business development are, are the three. There's a lot of other things that go with that, with that business, right? So you try and find... Um, so what I can do is I can I can create a business or help a business owner create that business for them, 
and and for them to go and do whatever it is that they want to do spend more time on that one thing that they love doing within the business spend time more time with the people that they love because they love being with those people and they just haven't got the time now you know go and travel around the world whatever that whatever it is that is your um you know your goal your intention because that's what i did you know i created i was working 15 16 hours a day six days a week for the first two or three months because I knew I had to do that. And then after that, that trained, had trained and shared the experiences with my staff and let them make mistakes. And that's the other thing that people forget is that for someone to learn, you have to make mistakes. You have to experience the failure for it to be emotionally connected so you don't do it again. Right? Because yeah. if if you make a mistake and someone else told you to go down that track, it was their mistake, right? They owned it. They told you. But if you made the decision and you made the mistake, that's on you, right? And then so you and go. And that's how you learn. And that's how and that's how you learn. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of my, you know, at the end of my roles, I was playing golf three days a week, because my my passion and my, um, you know, what I feel my genius is is building relationships. And so when I was on the golf course, I was, you know, with clients, building relationships and getting work from that. Absolutely. I think there's so many important bits in that bit. I think let's hone into one of them because one of my big passions is is and is that the, the owners, the leaders, we build these businesses haphazardly or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. And there's this certain kind of element of, I'm a business owner, so I'm going to, I technically, you know, I laugh because I didn't do it because I won't have more time, control and money. And of course, then everyone laughs, going, we don't get any of that. Let's try to flip that on its lid, shall we? Don't do it if you don't want to do it. And it's also, we've got to, as owners, do exactly what you just said. What do I love doing? And then intentionally get the right people in and, and build a business. And that may be, you know, bringing more people in, certainly getting advice on it. But go to somebody and ask that question. Just say, I'm desperately unhappy now and I can't figure out why. If you don't know why, that's fine because you can find somebody who can help you do that. But if you don't get to that point, everything else is going to be really hard because it's, you know, you're doing things. Even when, you know, you've got people and you meet people that you know and they do have a hammer, if you don't know what you want, you don't know what hammers you need or you don't know how to test that that's the hammer you need now because those people want to sell you a hammer and if you don't know what you want you can you're always out of alignment so you're always bringing in stuff and then then you get the shits with the hammer and it's actually not the hammer's fault what it, 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 you know it might be a sledgehammer and you only needed a a, a ball pain um you know a, a thing to attack at at, at attack a tacking hammer or it might you actually might need a screwdriver you know that that might be what you needed but there's um sam there's a couple of things that um one uh you know people go you need to let go of control and i go rubbish right you are the you are <laughs> you are the business owner the you need to be in control do not let anybody tell you that you need to be that you need to let go of control you need to be less controlling and there is a difference. You, it's a difference. Very much a difference. And to be con- to let go of control, you need to trust, right? You need to trust yourself first, 
that the system and processes that you have around you enable the people who are working with you and for you that they've got a sandpit and they know what the boundaries of that sandpit are and that you will trust that they will be in that sandpit. And like every, like everyone who plays in a sandpit, you know, you try and find the boundary of that and you try and push the boundary. Well, that's a good thing, right? If they're pushing the boundary, they're, they're, they're looking to become uncomfortable and looking to learn. So that's a, you know, that's a, that's a really good thing. The other thing is I've just been re-listening probably for the eighth time, the e-myth, right? And and the entrepreneur manager and and the um, you know the freelancer the, not the freelancer but the t- the technician right and really understanding a, that each one of those roles has a very different role to play within the organisation and you know not that you can pick one or the other but if you're the owner of the business you tend to be you know you need to have a mindset of being sometimes as the entrepreneur that's the strategy and thinking forward the manager the people and then the technician is the delivery. You know, that's when you've got the hammer in your hand and that person's got a nail and you're helping them smash into that. I, I've coined a phrase, I call it the lazy entrepreneur. And what I'm saying is... I love something with lazy. What I'm saying is that it's not, it's not that you're lazy and you don't put effort in. It's that you're lazy and you only want to deal with the things that you love to do. And the most successful people that I've worked with and four who that uh, that exhibit that very very mind myopic view of what it is that they're good at and they're very happy to get other people in and do the stuff and pay them handsomely for it because they know that their genius is in their lane and they can do all the other stuff but they do it really badly and so get somebody in who's a genius and that's why you know hire people that are better than you and I think that's important that, yeah, it's not that you don't know how to do the other stuff. You should. One of my big frustrations in our online numbers course is is that um, numbers, so financial statements, how they link back to your strategy, how you drive them, you know, what do you need to do daily to drive them and, and the different numbers that are required. I see that in that be that power being thrown away so much. 75% of business owners do not understand the financial statements. We have to change that stat. That is one thing that you do need control over. It doesn't mean that you're controlling and you're doing all the bookkeeping entries and you're actually preparing them. But if you don't understand them, you've lost power. Marketing. Well, I don't know anything about marketing, but you know, and someone's coming into a marketing strategy, you have to understand the concepts behind it. Otherwise, you don't do it. You don't need to come up with all of the stuff. But I think as owners in smaller styles of businesses, a CEO understands all of that stuff. The um, And I use this example. So, it, you know, my clients tend to be in the sort of the, you know, two to 10 million turnover, right? Now, um, when I was in PNG, the business that I worked for had a five, I had a revenue target of $5 million, right? So, and I had 120 staff within a, and I was one, um, one uh, pillar of, you know, four pillars within the organization. And I was the smallest one. So when, but, and for me to be successful, to me to even get the job, I had to be able to have certain amount of experience and certain amount of knowledge in, in a broad range of, of skill sets. Um, 
and but to, to be successful. So if you take a small business owner who's got a $5 million business, but that's their business, and they're only good at one thing, um, and I was and they were and they were trying to do everything right. So they were good at one things and master mm-hmm. of none. And I came along, and we bought them as a part of an acquisition. And I'm sitting down at the end of the year with the you know the previous business owner, and I've said, okay, we're doing a performance review on you, and I'm looking at your performance and. Why is it that you're writing copy for the website? Why is it that you're downstairs packing boxes? Why is it that you're doing the data entry on your accounts receivable? Why? You know, we're going to have a we're going to have a serious mm-hmm. conversation about how and why I've employed you. I've employed you, or your my estimation is that you're here for strategy. You spend 70% of your time on strategy, 30% of your time on delivery because you've got staff to do all of the things that you're meant to be doing. And so that's the mindset, uh, you know, because the majority of the businesses that size have grown up as a result of the the technician. And so that mindset, and so they, yep. they don't know any different. You know, we used, to, we used to have a coin of phrase because it's not the question you ask, it's the question you didn't ask. So if you've got a marketing person who's trying to sell you a marketing strategy, if you don't know to you know ask about return on investment and market, um, you know, uh, d- doing market surveys and understanding the product and pricing and all of those sorts of you know conversations that you should have with your marketing person, if you don't know that, they come in and say we can do a we can do a marketing strategy for you. Yep. Tick. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think too, I've seen it a lot. I've done it myself. And when you sort of go, and there's a whole lot of reasons why, you know, 95% of businesses in Australia, and I think it's worldwide, are under 2 million. And that's because up to there, you can actually be controlling of everything. And I use the word controlling there. And then you sort of hit that mark, 2 million, 3 million, somewhere around there. You have to say, what am I good at? What is my next strategy? And your business takes on its own identity and it becomes a entity, if that makes sense. And then your the values change. It becomes a business value as opposed to yours. You know, all of that sort of stuff. Now, if you don't want to get to that point, that's fine too. Like, just stay where you need to stay. If you're good at it and you want to be in control of anything, that's fine. But I think that that's a really big issue and it's why we've been out. It's, you know, what the most th- reason why we burn out and why we have businesses that are doing quite well when they're small, very well, and they blow up and they lose money faster than you can say, howdy who, um, when their turnover becomes successful, like they put a couple of zeros on the end, the infrastructure is not there, our knowledge is not there, you know, and all of those sort of things. So I think small businesses that grow up slowly, and the owners have learned that and they do do exactly what you're going. So, well, where I want to sit, I want to be an investor. I want to sit back here. I'm going to get other people in to help me. But I'm in control in that they're reporting back to me with what the results are and I understand them. That's the ideal. <laughs> of course, we all learn that in various different ways. And But if you really do want to be like that guy before and not have a lot of people, figure out how much money you want and keep your business where it's at. That's it's where it is. It, and, and the unfortunate and the unfortunate thing is that 
people, you know, we, we often hear about it, you know, at your funeral, what do you want to be known for? You know, it's like, well, Steve spent the last day of his um, life, you know, at the desk, you know, filling out the last client survey or whatever, you know, client um, delivery. Whatever. No, no, you, you know, you want, you, you, you'd hope that you would have made some impact, that you would build, you know, you'd been contributing to relationships, all of those sorts of things. We all know that, right? Yet what happens is that we get into this situation where we, where we believe that our business is our value. It's who we are, right? And that's ego. And so, and, and, and unless you are prepared to let that go and for it to be a legacy for you, right? let, your, let your ego be attached to the legacy that you leave behind rather than the, the fact that the business has got its, you know, its position in the marketplace. You know, from a pure economic point of view, it makes far more sense for you not to be the hub of the business, but to just be one of the spokes of the business. Because if we took you out as a spoke, the business would still operate. So therefore, if I'm a buyer of your business, it's far more valuable to me if you're not the middle of it. Right, because I then either have to, or anybody exactly. You know, I have to then, I have to then hold you on for a couple of, you know, maybe twelve months while you hand over to somebody, or um, or it's not a turnkey operation, and the whole value of the business is you, and so therefore I'm not going to pay you a premium just because you've got a client base. Right, I'm going to pay you a premium when your system and processes. Uh, run itself and I've got a turnkey operation and I can come in and I can run it and I can and and it runs itself obviously you know that's a franchise type think mentality and I keep coming back I'll, I'll come back yeah. to the e-myth you know I think it's straight it, it is actually just business 101 and I think that in professional services firms we kind of lose that if you, also your client base is not your client like it's not your business it is your business but your business is the systems, processes, and the people and everything you've got in it. Yes, your clients too, but things change and they can change quite dramatically. If you've got all those systems and then you put a different product in or a slightly different service and stuff, they should still work. And you can your business is, has a long-term value outside even your, your central product, um, whether that be tax or, you know, whatever that is. And we've seen that and, you know, we need to start thinking like that as well. It's just like this business is beyond me if that's where you wanted to go if not stick to your consulting make as much money as you can from it invest it somewhere else where, that can build assets and use your income earning ability to build out other assets that aren't reliant on you there's a whole lot of different things you can do you do not have to build a big business you do not have to build have people if you don't if you're like that other guy i love people like that because they go this is me this is what i want and they make every single decision around it. And you know where you stand with them as well. It's like, I don't want you in my sphere, but good on you. Yeah, exactly. So um, what, where I like to leave it, Steve, is just could you give us one or two tips that uh, sort of something that somebody that our listeners can take away um, and install in their everyday sort of straight away, something quite simple for them to sort of one or two tips that they can think about and take away that's not too just a small one. If I can, I'll premise it by saying that a lot of coaches and consultants come into businesses with the mindset that the business is broken. All right? It's not. No, it's it not. It's not broken. 
right? It's yes. never broken. So I don't, we're not trying to fix anything. We're, we're, we're looking at improving it. We're looking at, you know, changing su subtle things because the direction that if, you know, if you're making money, the direction that you're heading in is, is, is good, right? Um, a couple of really simple things, and this is people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, right? And regardless of whether you're a small business or a multinational business, these are some really simple things that I think if you put them in place, they'll make sense to you. The first one is an organizational chart. Now, if you're on your yes. own, <laughs> if you're on your own, just put out all of the um, the processes that need, you know, so it's finance, sales, marketing, operations, and people, right? They're the, and and mm -hmm. allocate people um, to that or positions to those various things. Now, your name, if you're on your own, your name is in every one of them, right? So, but you need that organizational structure in place so to actually determine where you're spending your time, right? So, if if the economic engine is sales, then that's where the majority of your time would would be. The second thing is, and this is if you have staff who are working for you, getting really clear job descriptions in place. Now, these are not job descriptions that are written and then go into a drawer. They're accountability statements, and I look at it slightly differently. Yes, you need the job description to talk about who the you know who the person is, what skills they need to be able to do the job, but it's more the accountabilities of that role. And this is the sandpit. Okay, you play in the sandpit. That's your accountabilities. This is how we're going to measure your performance based on that. And then as your manager, what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you to achieve those accountabilities. It's not there to, for a stick um, to bash you over the head when you don't perform. It's for me to be able to measure your performance based on the expectation that we've agreed to. right? And then it's my job as your manager or the owner of the business to make sure that you actually have the skills, capacity and time to be able to do the job that I've employed you to do. Right? And so that creates that trust. So those two things, I know that they, you know, people roll their eyes. Um, but the, if, they're the most important. They're the, like, they're, um, they're, 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 you don't know what you're doing. It's really basic. It's really basic. It's people, oh, I don't need a job description because if they don't know what they're doing, then they shouldn't be here. Right. Okay. <laughs> you got you're pointing one finger, but you got three coming back at you, right? So um, think about it, right? <laughs> yeah. In in the line leader, we actually do position. Um, um, I like accountability. We call them success roles. Um, for us as leaders as well, because I feel one thing I really didn't enjoy when I went from being you know, some decades now from an employee to an owner. Is, is that framework, those boundaries, and what is it that I need to do every day? Because, you know, as owners, it's like, shh, you know, a lot of noise around as well. And it's so powerful because if we want, we have our own goals and our own things and our own stuff that we want to be measured on, and it might be, well, I'm doing all five roles that you mentioned, um, and I want to just get to sales. How am I going to do that? Who's going to measure me and keep me accountable? If you're by yourself, you can actually do it yourself. Um, as well you just need the framework mm. and unfortunately I don't know why but all charts and um, position descriptions whatever you want to call them also they're not taskless people no exactly why are you here yeah. um, what is it that you are supposed to be you know why are you waking up in the morning in this role <laughs> you know what's the purpose of it um, and 
Sorry, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna be controversial here again. I blame the human resource departments for this, um, because it's been it's become a compliance. Um, and I can hear the crowds howling now, right? But it's become compliance driven. And the human resource manager is the manager of human resources, not the human resource department. And so if you can have that mindset is that use it as a tool to be able to create um, that again, come back circling back to that relationship. You know, when you're talking about an accountability statement, you're talking about how I can support you not ha not the stick for me to hit you over the head because you haven't done your job. The f uh, it, and they're dynamic. You don't just sit them exactly. on the shelf. They keep going yeah. um, and they should always like quickly check in how we're we going. We had a goal. You want to shift this role in 12 yep. months time. It's now six months time where are we at. Um, you know, that mentor thing that we went to early on, you know, just constantly coming back to it, it just gives people more clarity and focus. And then you do get to the end of that year and you go, I achieved it. Now I'm ready for my new role or, or whatever that is. And, you know, back to org charts as well. If you are one person, um, you know, really um, do that. And then we also do the future ones. Yep. Like if you have these strategies and things that you want to do in your business, you need to actually also push out the org charts and see what that looks like. Because you might then put an org chart together and go, Oh shit! I don't want that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I have to do that to do that, but not doing that, you know, actually get yourself a visual, yeah. so it becomes very much. And how much that all counts going to cost you? Yeah, exactly. Like that's another thing we did. Some we've done a lot of. There's a massive. I'll put a link into a podcast where we talk about uh, when um, one of our Mikey Feldman talks about that. They did that out and they realized that there's no way that they could the projections that they were doing, they could do and make any money. <laughs> yes. um, Sam, I, I have one more tip, but this is for the larger organisations, you know, the yeah. ones that have got 20 or 30, maybe even 50 employees. And we, we you know, big thing today or the conversations today is around psychological safety yes. right? and creating an environment where people feel safe to come to work. And I was at a human resource conference. Um, I don't, I'm not a human resource consultant, um, but I like hanging out in those spaces because I can, I'm not throwing rocks at people, but I can ask, uh, I can ask pointed questions. For me, the measurement of a successful, psychologically safe place is if the KPI that you have as a manager is to train two people that report to you to be in a position that they can take your job. That's your KPI, right? You have to, over a 12 month period, you have to be able to upskill these people so that they can do your job. Why? <laughs> you go, well, obvious reasons. Yeah. So if they can do your job, right, that means that you're more efficient and then there are opportunities for you to go up because theoretically the person above you is doing exactly the same for you, right? So they're training you to be that. If the organization has that culture embedded into it, is that not a psychologically safe environment where you just know that it's the business is going to look after you because because they're just creating opportunities for you within the organization they don't have to they don't have to promote you but they build the skills and confidence of people and to, to me i think that's the piece that we miss in all of this it's we make it a critical component of you as a manager that you have to replace yourself. 
and I think that um, if you do, if, if it is your goal to build a business that you can have a legacy or you can sell or at least just be, a, you know, my ultimate goal is just to not necessarily sell this business that this podcast is coming to you from, but certainly up my swanning around time because, you know, I want the business to be operating by itself and away from me. Yeah, we're a long way off that, but that's the goal and that's it. And I think it should be one for owners as well is how are you training other people to do what you do? And if you've got those five roles, you might need to ultimately, not tomorrow, but ultimately train five and then just pick the one that you want to keep. Or I'm of a belief that, mm. yeah, that you you should always be replaceable because shit happens. And there is nothing more from a owner psychological safety point of view. There's nothing more worrying and trying to deal with stuff when you're thinking my business is falling apart, but I've got to be over here. Particularly as we're all parents, we're all, we're not everyone's parents, but we've all got relatives, either older, younger, or friends in strife, or it doesn't matter, dog, pet, etc. that we do want to drop and, and do things for, and not to mention our own health so this is really important. Just one more thing on psychological safety is that it really distresses me that we have to have all these measurements. I mean, if you have to measure it, you probably don't have it. <laughs> this is this is my exactly this is my point. <laughs> I, I mean, so uh, uh, there's now a thing called social social uh, safety, right? So this is it's sort of that deeper level of psychological safety. And I'm just going, why do we need all of these labels? Surely it's just, surely it's just because we need to care for each other. Isn't that, isn't that the, the basic human um, uh, component? You know, you go to work, you, you, you know, you know, some people are dickheads, right? Oh yeah, but, there's always but, dickheads. You know, you, One in 10. Always, you know, so, so you just create, just care for people. It's real basic human considerations and just because you've got a manager attached to your name does not give you the right to be a dickhead like i was as a 32 year old right yeah. and, and i've been a dickhead too that... like, don't get me wrong and it's just <laughs> you know, like it's just... oh my god um and learn from that as well i think that we're not taught how to not be a dickhead actually we're not taught how to be psychologically safe um for ourselves um and for other people around particularly in the dog eat dog and all of that sort of stuff, not have good conversations early on in the piece and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, this isn't and, entirely our fault, but. And, and maybe that's why we need that, you know, that, that would it. be the reason to have it there, you know, to, to do that. But again, that's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do need, and I think that's why we're where we are right now and the world's in trouble. Mm. Um, it has been in trouble before though. This isn't, you know, the first time, um, yeah. you know, the rights that are being taken away or not taken away and, you know, everything, you can just feel this this real thing. And that's because, you know, most people do spend their time in businesses and it is somewhere we can all start. So, my goodness, Steve, we have gone around and covered some very important topics here. And I do, th <laughs> I do thank you for that. We're going to drop your, um, if you want to contact Steve, it's going to be down in links. You can check him out on LinkedIn. I would highly recommend checking out his podcast, Inspiring Business. And, yes, thank you so much for being with us, Steve. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Sam. Really, really appreciate it. And I love having these conversations because, you know, both of us are passionate about it. So it's hard not to get uh, excited when, when we speak <laughs> with each other. <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody else out there, be brave and continue the conversation. 
Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm. To help us, can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast 